Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Exploring Awesome. I'm not hearing the intro music, but uh, looks like I pressed play. Anyway, all right, no intro music today. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in to Exploring Awesome, where we explore tips, tricks, and strategies to help you and me to live a more awesome life. Today on the show, we're exploring the future of education with uh, author and uh, TEDx speaker, and an all-around speaker, Rachel Mann. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Oh, thanks, Tim. It's so so great to be here and to chat with you again. It's been several months since we've been able to connect. That's right. We actually uh, both did a, uh, our TEDx talks at Grand Canyon University back in February. So check those out. Let me give you uh, let me give you Rachel the spelling of her name because it's uh, it's a little bit different than what you might expect. It's R A C H. A-E-L-M-A-N-N, that's R-A-C-H-A-E-L-M-A-N-N, and of course you can find uh, her information and her contact information over at blogtalkradio.com slash exploringawesome. Rachel, so uh, will you just give us a quick bio? What, what do we need to know about uh, Rachel Mann? Yes, okay, so Tim, my, my whole world is pretty much around education. I do a lot of different things in education, but that's my, I consider that my calling and my purpose in life. I taught for 14 years as subjects ranging from sixth grade science, the culinary arts, to doing a lot of technology, and then went on to work at the Arizona Department of Education. And currently, in my current role, I'm the Director of Professional Development for West Met, which is a school district here in Arizona. And I also have a company called Hashtag Teeth Like Child. The hashtag is silent. And I've been doing a lot of work in the area of STEM and career and technical education. Mm-hmm. But lots, lots of different stuff. And, uh, you know, I have to say I have the best job in the world. Like, I, every day I just love what I do. Uh, it's, just so, it's so cool to be able to to make an impact on young people, to be able to work with educators who I know are going to work with young people and make a difference in their lives, but then also the opportunities to work one-on-one with students when those opportunities arise. That's amazing. And I, I understand what you mean about just loving what you do. It's, it's a, uh, you know, Monday doesn't seem like Monday when, when it's, when you're doing what you love. Um, Rachel, uh, you know, real quick, will you, for, for those in my audience that don't know what this, what STEM stands for, like I didn't, when we first met, I was like, I, I haven't mm-hmm. been involved in education or in childhood education. I've done adult education. Um, and so I had no idea what STEM meant for, for if there's any, uh, anyone else that doesn't know, can you tell us what STEM stands for? We're talking about yes, teaching. Absolutely. So STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. And you'll sometimes hear it as STEAM education as well, because folks will throw in the A for arts. And I like to think of that as the design aspect, because when you think about the, the areas and the way that they all work together, so say you're doing something that's related to, I'll use space as an example, since I just wrote a book connected to space, but you're working on creating a, uh, uh, sending people to Mars, and you're you know, working on the um, flight landing systems for that. You're going to have to have that design element as well, but you're using science, technology, engineering, and math. So all of those subject areas, how they come together as a whole to solve the big problems in the world. When we look at the future, those are the uh, those those skill sets or the skill sets that are really going to make an impact on on creating answers to the big problems we're going to be addressing. 
Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much. You know, I'm really intrigued by the title of your company, the Teach Like Ted. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What does that What does that mean exactly? Yes. Yes. Okay. So Teach Like Ted. It started out when I was working at the Arizona Department of Education. I was asked to uh, to move from the position I was at in as a supervisor for family and consumer sciences to take over ed professions and educators rising and um, to be the director. But part of that was training a group of high school students in public speaking. Now, public speaking is something that I remember as a child being just mortified if a teacher called on me to answer a question in class. It would ruin my day. And so when they asked me oh, yeah. public speaking, I had, to, I had to think back, well, how did I learn public speaking? And it really it was more about learning how to write speeches and read speeches than to actually learn how to connect with an audience. So we started looking at TED Talks together, examining them, breaking them down, looking at what was effective, what wasn't effective, and using that to kind of transform that public speaking piece. And it was amazing to watch these kids just really embrace these concepts and become dynamic speakers. And it was impacting my own ability to, uh, to speak and stand in front of an audience as well. So it was something that as I thought about what was happening in these students and within myself, and I thought, you know, what if I had had this as part of my teacher prep program? And I put patient called it Teach Like Ted to give it a conference, a best practices conference a few years ago, and was asked to, asked to do it at different conferences. And eventually just it turned into a company of just using it as a way to teach presentation literacy to both adults and to students to help them communicate more effectively and to be able to really engage both in person, one-on-one conversations in front of a group, but also globally, because our world is becoming so much more global and we're able to, to, have, a, a, to have a megaphone in our hands at all times to really reach a global audience. So what, what does that mean for our, for our ability to, to communicate and to speak and to use our voice? Yeah, isn't that amazing? We do have that um, able to reach so many people um, today, uh, and just your just your average person. Which I, this is one of the things I love is that just your average person can reach uh, a global audience. Where I mean, that's just been unheard of uh, in the past. Like this, I'm I I have a podcast. I have a you know my own basically a radio show, and uh, I think it's awesome. You know, um, I I love this this thing too. You know, I remember uh, just I was terrified in in school of being of being called on and then having to do. Um, uh, we took speech in high school uh, at my school, and oh my goodness, it was it was just a killer, which is kind of weird because now I I do it. Did you use any? Um, did you? How did you get over? So if you were kind of shy about it then, how did you get over that um, in speaking in front of people? It, it's not something that for me that I've ever gotten over. I still have that nervousness whenever I'm speaking in public, but it's turned into something towards more of an excitement. I still feel the jitters, the uh, the rate at my heart racing, but I try to think of it more of I'm about to get on a roller coaster. I'm excited about it. The message that I'm going to give is important. It's going to make an impact. So I try to just almost do uh, some wordsmithing in my mind to to help myself be psyched up and ready to go for that. And I think that that's something that's so important when we're, when we're communicating how to speak in public to other people, that we're designed that way. We're supposed to feel nervous. And you can either use that as something that's going to cause you to run from those opportunities or channel it, channel it into your energy and your delivery when you're presenting. I, I agree completely. It's funny because I – you know, uh, the hypnotherapy side of my business, I, I will have 
a lot of times people uh, come to me to, to get better at public speaking. They'll tell me, you know, but, but I'm just so afraid to speak in public. I'm like, yeah, everybody is, you know. Right. I mean, we have that, we have that chance of, of, of ridicule and, and, and uh, being ostracized, which, you know, that was a long time ago. That was a horrible thing because, you know, you were out of the tribe and you had to fend for yourself and it's, and it's still there. So it's that fear thing, but just, just breaking through it. So, um, so where do you see the future of education uh, as we start to, if I'm understanding this right, you're, you're really looking to really emphasize uh, these areas, the STEM stuff. Um, where, I mean, I guess where are we at on it right now and, and where would you like to see it? Well, currently we, the, we don't have enough teachers teaching STEM. And part of the problem is teacher pay. It's hard to attract someone to come into a classroom and to teach a class and to teach our students these STEM principles that are so important when they're having to take sometimes pay cuts as little as 30000 or sometimes a lot more of a pay cut than that. So how do you get people to come in to inspire students to even want to go into STEM areas? So we'll see sometimes that, we're gonna, that we have substitute teachers in these classes that are such important classes, but it's people who, who they don't know the content area, and they're just giving out assignments that they're told to give. So that makes it really difficult to, to inspire students. So that's one of the reasons why this topic is so important, is that we really do have to look at ways to, to not only get those teachers in the classroom, but ways to even incorporate STEM in every content area, because it, we don't live in a world that's compartmentalized but our subject areas are. Mm-hmm. Language arts isn't standalone. Science isn't standalone. None of it's standalone. Right. So finding ways to really make it a more holistic approach towards education. Mm-hmm. And we, we have yeah, some reasons for working, working on these initiatives to both attract teachers into these fields. We have business and industry. I know with Westmec, the organization I work with, the Palo Verde Energy Company, they have donated one of their employees who he's, they're paid by the energy company but they're in a classroom every day with students, with another classroom teacher impacting education and giving them those real-world skills and uh, helping kids find out if that's the area they want to go into. So I think those types of partnerships with business and industries who have realized that, wow, if we want, if we want a workforce to be able to go into these fields and solve these problems, we need to start investing in education and do what we can and, and do our part. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I just want to let everyone know, everyone who's uh, listening, if you'd like to call in, if you've got questions for myself or Rachel, please give us a call. The number is uh, 347-855-8711. That's 347-855-8711. You're listening to Exploring Awesome right now. And uh, today we're talking with Rachel Mann uh, about education. Rachel, I, you know, I do, I, one of the things I find interesting, and, and you, and you talked about this, like that, that um, so many cuts in, in the quote-unquote non-essential things like um, physical education and arts and things like this that, that actually turns out that they, they make a, a huge difference in, in, uh, in this sort of thing. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Maybe you can articulate it a little bit better than I can, um, well, this idea that – Well, one of – yeah, so one of the reasons that, that we see classes like phys ed being cut – is because the folks who are making these decisions think that that's going to give more time for kids to work in these content areas and it's going to increase test scores. 
So in the words of John Medina, who is a brain scientist, he says that trying to improve test scores by getting rid of gym class is like trying to improve your diet by not eating. <laughs> because our, <laughs> our uh, level of <laughs> isn't that great? Uh, yeah. When you think about the, the way that exercise impacts our ability to think and process information, and studies just showing that your cognitive abilities improve when you exercise, they've done research that shows that having – Gym, some type of physical activity right before your hardest subject area improves scores and your um, comprehension of those areas. So it's a, so it really is counterproductive to get rid of gym class when that's something that's actually making us um, making us able to think to think better and and live a better life. And with that, that also, uh, that's something that impacts depression. We're, we're seeing more and more depression in students and suicides and all of these, these issues related to mental health. Well, studies also show that phys, phys ed and exercise increases uh, the levels of happiness and combats depression almost, and it, depending on the study that you look at, but some studies show that there's better results from exercise than taking an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, um, when you're doing this kind of work, do you do you teach or do you do you um, recommend teaching um, things about mental health, uh, self care, or I guess how and where to get help and and how to identify these kind of things in yourself and others, the mental health issues. I am not an expert in mental health. However, I do teach classes on digital literacy and equipping students for responsible social media use, which is very, very much connected to mental health in this day and age because we're seeing so many incidences where students are being bullied through social media or they're, uh, it's causing them to feel very insecure because they see uh, the kids in the, that are of similar age doing all these amazing things and they think that they're inadequate. They don't realize that, you know, that they're only seeing the highlights of certain parts of their life. They're only seeing what you want them to see. But it's really creating some mental health issues and creating some isolation. And, you know, we've seen uh, cases of students being bullied and committing suicide or attempting suicide. So that's something that I do work with, work with both parents and educators on is resources for teaching responsible social media use because it's not something that we can ignore. We can't say, oh, kids can't have their cell phones. They can't get on social media because all social media is blocked in our school. That's not solving the problem. That's actually escalating it because we're ignoring the elephant in the room and we're not giving them the resources to learn how to develop the skills to use those tools in a way that is productive, learning how to handle those conflicts when a student is bullied through social media. So I think that really addressing those issues and giving, providing those resources, that's, that's something that's the responsibility is for everyone in education, whether you're trained in, in that area or not. We've, we've all got to take responsibility for that. Yeah. And just keeping our students Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you know, I mean, I know that you're, you, um, that you're doing a lot of work in this area. You know, I've, I've got listeners out there uh, that are not involved in education, you know, uh, directly, but say they're a parent mm-hmm. or they're just a, a concerned, a concerned uh, individual. What can they do to help forward uh, the progress in this, in this area? 
get involved. I think the more we can make education the responsibility of everyone and not just educators, because it's, it's something that's, that's so big, you know, being able to have a, a parent coming in and providing their expertise, talking about their career path, talking about the projected changes in the workforce for their career path. Those are things that are huge and it really helps educators not only give that as a resource to students, but they, they're able to make those connections and make changes to curriculum and, and changes to what they're doing in the class to fit those needs of the world as it's changing around us. But I think that, that having a voice in education is important, knowing, knowing what's happening in legislation, because when it comes down to it, education is, there's so many mandates for education, we have to make sure that everyone is voting for what's best for education, because education is the future. And a lot of people don't just don't know what the issues are or what legislation is is on the line or should be or should be out there. So just making sure that you're knowledgeable, knowing who your representatives are, connecting with your representatives because your your representatives are really it's not it's not a matter of, of it being just someone who's sitting at the, at the state capitol. My uh, my uh, house of, uh, house of representatives for my district, Ken Clark. I called him up to talk to him about something related to education a few years ago, and I had an appointment with him three days later. And now, mm. now he calls me if he has a question about about education, about something happening in education. Oh, how cool! That's awesome. So, so yeah, just just getting involved and just being knowledgeable. I think that's that's the best thing that you can do. And too, there's so many cool resources. So for parents, for them to be able to. To not just rely on what's happening during the school day, uh, but there's resources for being able to reinforce concepts like, you know, code.org if your kids interested in coding or just all, all kinds of awesome, awesome apps that can help students with, with their homework or what they're doing at home. So providing your student, your children with those resources as well. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, there are, there are a lot of downsides to social media and, and technology, of course, but there's a lot of upsides as well. You know, you have a, so your book, you have a very interesting title for your book. Now, and you were also, you were talking about one about on design. Is that a new book or is that, is that the, the other book? Oh, oh, oh no, for the design, I was, I was mentioning that because I have had people ask me because the book is called The Martians Near Classroom and the subheading is STEM in Every Learning Space. And I've had people ask why I chose to go with STEM and not STEAM. And the the art piece that people add in to STEAM is the design piece, which is really, really oh. important. And that is, that's discussed in the book. Um, I think that that would actually make a fascinating uh, next book. But um, still, still uh, this, it's still in the early phases of getting this one out there. So um, I've started jotting down ideas for the next, the next iteration of it. But um, I don't have plans to start writing it at this point. Now, I am gotcha. writing a second so, book right now for, for another organization, but it's not related to the STEM. It's um, for student organizations. Gotcha. Now, this, now it's, an, it's an odd title if somebody was seeing this uh, on the bookshelf or in their you know, uh, Amazon uh, Kindle app or something, The Martians in Your Classroom. <laughs> what the heck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I always like to ask people what they think that it means because because uh -huh. it's I, I love hearing the the responses to it and I like that it brings up questions. Some people think it's going to be a fiction book, but it, it creates right. curiosity. And I know you've heard, you've heard my TED talk, so I, I won't ask you because yeah. you already know. Uh, but the Martians in your classroom 
is a reference to the the concept that the first person to step foot on the red planet has already been born and they could be a student in the classroom it could be a kid in your neighborhood or it could be your own child so the the folks that are going to create the first colony on mars they're they're already alive and they're children somewhere and they're going to be making a huge impact but what does that mean for education and it, and it also alludes to the idea that the kids are experiencing the world in a way that's so drastically different than the world that we grew up in and that, that we uh, the, the interactions that we had when we were kids, they were done differently. So thinking of it as, yeah, it kind of kind of is almost like being on another planet for them. So we probably seem like Martians to them as well because, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> because our, the, the way we grew up with is so foreign to them. Interesting. So there's um, lots, you know, lots one of thing different levels know. of Martians here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's it's such a it's such an interesting title, and I love the way I love the way you, you came up with that. That's uh, that's really interesting. The uh, the idea there. Um, Thank you. So I'm 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 curious about something um, because I'll say you know maybe you can help out with this. You know when I was I remember um, I loved science. I mean I wanted to be a scientist until about. Uh, all the way through sixth sixth grade science, and then I don't even then I, it seems like after that it either I thought it was too hard or I got the message that it was too hard that you had to be really smart for it or something, um, mm. and and so I sort of lost interest. Although I did end up taking um, a chemistry class in college called chemistry for those who hate chemistry, and I found it just <laughs> fascinating. It was really really interesting class. Um, but I love what do you, that title. I mean, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, isn't it great? It was, it was, you know, and the thing is, is like, you know, he really, he really made it um, accessible because it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just these uh, intangible concepts. It was, you know, you know, doing experiments and stuff that were really practical. I can't remember any of them at all right now, but I just remember going, oh, wow, this is really cool stuff. Um, and then finding out that the whole world is chemicals, which is, it cracks me up because I keep seeing these right. memes for, for things that say no chemicals, you know, or something. I'm like, well, the whole world's chemicals. So, you know, so, in fact, some, <laughs> some restaurant owner was on the, the radio talking about the soup at their restaurant has zero chemicals in it. <laughs> like, so, uh, interesting. But, but are there efforts, I mean, is, and, and probably things have changed now, but are there efforts to make it more accessible to, to kids that maybe think that, uh, that it gets too hard or something like that? Well, I think part of it is just making it fun, breaking down the concepts in a way that, they're, that the kids don't even realize that they're learning. Like, for instance, I, this morning, right before I got on a, on a call with you, I was at the Phoenix and I'm, I hope I don't say this word wrong, herpetological society. Does that sound right? <laughs> I should probably practice that word first. But, uh, but reptiles, I was, uh, I was at a site visiting one of, one of the teachers for Westmac is doing an externship and learning how uh, skills that she can use in her classroom. She teaches about assisting. And she was showing me all of these amazing things for all of these snakes and lizards and um, the turtles, all this really cool stuff, talking to me about the different disorders they may have or, or different different issues. And I see all of these student groups, like different age groups, who keep passing by at different points, depending on where we were at on the property. And these kids come here all summer long learning science, and they're having a blast. I mean, they are so engaged in what they're doing that they don't even realize that they're learning because it's so interesting. And that's science. If you think about about 
any any of the science areas, like when you show kids the bigger concept of what it's going to turn into and then break it down into small, manageable steps. And sometimes it's a matter of using technology because there are some pretty amazing uh, amazing apps and free tools like the New York Science. They have a, a whole bundle of free tools for educators to use that are teaching the different science concepts that are fun. You know, it's like, I'm like oh, I want to play with this app. This is really cool. But, yeah, I, th- I think it really does depend upon the approach to it. If it's too hard, then that means that we're not doing our job as, as educators to break it down into concepts that are, that are manageable, that it's not being checked down. It's just like if you give someone a big steak, they're not going to eat the whole thing at once. You have to cut it, cut it down into those bite-sized pieces to make it manageable. Yeah, and I love this idea, too, where um, you were talking about um, combining the different disciplines because, as you said, I mean, if you – if you end up going to some profession, whether it's technology or engineering or math, whatever, there's going to be concepts from all these different areas involved. Um, can you tell us what that looks like in the classroom? Well, I can just where I just came from. I could I could see it there. Like there was there was one student who was helping out who was cutting up vegetables. So if you think about the culinary mm-hmm. side of things, the food industry there, and then you had mm-hmm. uh, she was telling me about how some other students had been building the facilities. You know, you have the student have different different skill sets that are all coming together and combining. But even even in the classroom, like I think about with as a culinary arts teacher, I'll use that as an example. One of my favorite lessons that I would teach was at the science of cookies, and the kids were getting to learn the culinary arts side, but they were also getting to learn what causes the uh, the batter to rise? What happens if you put too much of the uh, the um, baking soda, or if you use if you accidentally use baking powder instead of or baking soda instead of baking powder? You know what what happens and how those um, chemical interactions occur. So if you turn in an extra egg, you're going to see that the cookie is twice as big, and then the kids have to figure out why, and then they get to learn about proteins and bonding and those different principles that it's making science come to life. So I think a lot of times it's walking across the hallway if you're, if you're a science teacher and connecting with, within my instance, a, a culinary class or with another content areas and finding ways that, you're, that you can really complement each other and what you're doing. Wow, that sounds like a fun class. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> how to, how to make, so can you, tell us real, can, can you tell us real quickly, uh, what is the difference if, if I accidentally put baking soda instead of baking powder in the cookies? Uh, baking soda is going to be very flat and fizzy, <laughs> and it's going to have a very salty oh. taste to it. Yes, it's, oh, and that, gotcha. that's happened many times. There, there's many, I would let my students mess up a recipe. I would see them grab the wrong ingredient, and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Now they get to learn some more science. <laughs> I would yeah. make that mistake. You know, I saw a kid grabbing, grabbing a container of salt instead of sugar. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I can't wait for the reaction when they taste this. <laughs> they don't do it again. But it's just, we've, we've got to let kids mess up more. You know, we, we hold, I think that we we have a society where everyone, we talk about helicopter parenting. It's in the classrooms, too. There's helicopter teachers who they're not letting the kids mess up. You've got to let kids mess up because that's what the world's like. You've got to learn how to handle the messiness and how to fix things when you break things and, and uh, what to do. So there's not always going to be someone there to save you and protect you from those mistakes. Isn't that the truth? I mean, failure is only feedback and, and – uh, you get mm-hmm. a lot of feedback throughout life, so you might as well learn to deal with it early on, and uh, and, learn, and learn to, to 
to get the best out of it. So, Rachel, we're, we're coming up on just a couple minutes out. Um, can you uh, – do you have a couple of things, two things that, uh, that my audience could take home with them today to live a more awesome life? Yes, and the, the first one I'm going to say is related to that last piece on letting kids fail. I think in life we mm-hmm. have to be okay with failure, and we also have to be okay with rejection. So taking risks mm-hmm. and, and, and being okay with those consequences and learning from everything that happens to us. Another one is not getting too attached to our plans. The world is changing very quickly. 85% of jobs that exist now will not exist by 2030, and that's just 12 years from now. So I think that it's great to make mm-hmm. plans, but you can't get too attached to those plans. There's going to be new opportunities that come up, and we have to be open to those opportunities and open to change. And some of the opportunities that come along when you let go of your own plans just take you to places that are so much cooler and amazing than what you would have planned for yourself if you didn't take those, take those doors when they opened up to you. I agree completely. And then, it's, uh, it's interesting. Go ahead. Oh, no. And then, and then a third one, too, that I'll, that I'll mention, too, is connecting with people you don't know. It's, I think that our world's becoming more global, and yes, stranger danger is a real thing, but I think there's so many cool connections we can make, and I think that the more globalized we become, we're, we realize that we're not so different from each other after all. So I think that just uh, reaching out, using the powerful tools that we have, and uh, making those connections is, is key to living Great a very info. awesome so- life. So there it is, folks. So be okay with failure. Don't get too attached to your plans. And uh, connect with people you don't know. Really great things. As I always ask you to do, I just encourage you to just choose one. It's tough to make big, huge changes. But you can change one thing this week. Start doing one of those things. Rachel, thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you, Dad. It's been great. uh, I've enjoyed connecting with you. Absolutely. Please check her out at at, uh, rachelman.co. And uh, find the notes here. And, of course, uh, I'm Jim Kellner. Thanks for listening. Take care. Be well. Be awesome.